0: as he went to the cross for each one of us. You know, this is an important week, but the greatest day in history is yet to come. And let me tell you something, it is a great day. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. Um, you can go to some of these uh, tombstones that that have um, like Muhammad and and people like that who claim to be... Um, Christ-like figures, but their bodies are still in the tomb. Jesus, isn't; his body is not there. That's because he's risen just as he said he would. And so I want to um, just kind of ask you guys, challenge you to to share the, the compassion of Christ this week as we come upon the passion or the compassion week, if you would. But this morning I want to... <laughs> Finish up our series in James. I want to ask you, how many of you like Halloween? Okay, there's a few of you that have your hands up. Halloween is not one of my favorite holidays. But at the same time, you know, I think that we can turn something that is negative into something positive if we, if we are allowed to do that. You know, I, I see a lot of churches doing the trunk or treat things, and they have the the bouncy houses and everything, but for me it was always about the the candy. <laughs> it wasn't about anything else but the candy. That was it. You know, we allowed our children to go trick-or-treating when they were little, but what we would never allow them to do was to um, dress up in costumes or put masks on that depict anything demonic um, or anything that, that portrayed witches or or satanic stuff. We, we just would not allow that. But see, our kids loved, and I love to see the creativity take place when they, when they did this. They loved to be creative with their costumes. My son Ethan, one year, went as an Oreo cookie. <laughs> I, that's hilarious. I mean, you should have seen the Oreo cookie. I mean, it was really good. He went as a mad scientist. He went as an angel He even went one year as a sniper. He wore my ghillie suit. Lindsay went as an alien girl one time. She went as a bride. And one year she went as Laura Ingalls. Remember Laura Ingalls from The Little House on the Prairie? She went as Laura Ingalls. Cameron went as a lion. And um, this one I almost didn't allow. You know, I I considered this one a little bit satanic, but he went as a Philadelphia Eagles football player. (laughs) So, you know, that one was kind of iffy, you know what I'm saying? It was just on the verge there. Are there any Philadelphia Eagles fans out here? I hope not. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> but the other thing that he went as that was kind of creepy, if you ask me, was one year he went as a clown, and I'm not real fond of clowns. You know, I don't know what it is about them, but I don't like them. Um, uh, and a couple years he went as Noah. some of the Noah's Ark animals. He, he liked to do that. Um, my my daughter Alyssa went one year as a pumpkin. She went as a bunny. Um and then my, my youngest daughter, and my youngest son one year dressed up, and this was hilarious. They dressed up and they went as conjoined twins. <laughs> that was hilarious. But the best one of all, the best the best costume of all was my two daughters. They dressed up as a clothesline. <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they were the clothesline poles and they had the clothesline and they actually had the clothes hanging on the line as we're, that, that one was to me that one was the most that was absolutely the funniest one of all of them you know the kids always had a lot of fun pretending to be someone that they were not the question I have for you today is this what mask are you wearing what mask are you wearing Seriously. It's unfortunate, but from time to time, I think we all wear masks. Um, You wear a mask, uh, you're not only hiding from others, but you're also hiding from yourself. And it's difficult, because I think sometimes what we do is we lose the real self when we wear those masks. And, you know, and, and that is a huge loss. It really is. Sometimes we pretend that we're something we're not. I've done that. Maybe you, you put on a fake smile to hide how you're really feeling inside. Maybe you're just dying inside. A lot of people do that. They put that fake smile on, but they're just dying inside that's sad. It's tough. Maybe you pretend to have your act together so that people don't see what a mess your life really is. I guess what my prayer is for us this morning is that Cornerstone would be a place where you can take off the mask, where you can just be yourself. And let people see the real you. Faults, failures, good, bad, all of it. And I would hope and pray that you would know that you are still loved and accepted for who you are at Cornerstone. That's what we, the church, should be all about, shouldn't we? And yet, it seems like many churches fall way short on that. A few weeks ago, we started this series on the book of James, which is all about real faith for real life in real time. I entitled it Living Out Your Faith in Real Time. In chapter 1, James talks about how real faith helps us with our burdens, our battles. Even helps us in, in reading our Bibles, You know, talking about the word that's implanted in you. Chapter 2, James goes, goes about defining real faith for real life and real time as he identifies three types of faith. Remember those three types of faith? The first one was a dead faith. The second one was a demonic faith. Even the even the demons had faith. They just never acted upon it. Or a dynamic faith. In chapter 3, James talks about how real faith ought to affect the way we talk. The, the, the things that we say. How we have we have the power within this little uh, This little thing? That, that little thing right there. Gene Simmons from Kiss, he has a really long one, a really long tongue there, man. I remember seeing that guy and thinking like, holy cow, how long is that thing? It's like five inches long. But this little thing right here has has the power to build up or destroy. And so James talks about that. In chapter four, James explains that covetedness and conflicts can be overcome by drawing close to God in faith. If we center our, our whole thoughts and, and our whole life upon him and not go turn from side to side like Peter did. Remember when Peter got out of the boat? Peter was actually walking on water. He's the only person that I know other than Jesus that actually walked on water for real. He was walking on the water because of his faith in Jesus. But what happened? He started to look around and he saw the waves crashing around him and he got afraid and he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus, he's not going to allow you to sink. And so in the fifth chapter, the final chapter we're going to talk about this week, James touches on several areas of, of life that, that ought to be affected by our faith. You know, we, if we have real faith, that is C.S. Lewis once described faith as this. He says, the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted, your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. We all have changing moods, don't we? And we cannot allow our faith to to falter in those changing moods. And that's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. I mean that, that moods change, life changes, but real faith is something worth hanging on to no matter how we feel or what our circumstances might be. That's real faith. No matter what our circumstances might be, so the first way I want to share with you this morning, the first way it affects our lives, this, this thing of faith, is through patience. Through patience. How many of you have patience? You know, one of the things that I've learned is not to ask for patience in prayer because God's going to give it to you. And sometimes He's not. you're not going to like the way he gives it to you. The first way it affects our lives is, is through patience. You know, real faith results in patience. And here's what James says. If you look at James chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 7 through 9. I will read it from the monitor here. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops. Patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Did you hear that? How near is that? The Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. The judge is standing at the door. Wow. Wow. If there are any farmers in here, do we have any farmers in here? Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> if, there are, if there are any farmers in here today, then you can testify to the importance of patience. I know Sarah's mom and dad were farmers, and, and you have to be patient. You know, Let me touch on what's happening in these verses here that we just read. When we read these verses, what it says the Lord's coming... What happens is my mind, I don't know about your mind, but my mind automatically jumps to the return of Jesus. That's what it jumps to. We call that the second coming. But that's not always the case when he talks about that idea, the Lord's coming. That phrase is also sometimes used in reference to God's coming judgment upon us. For instance... Isaiah, look at Isaiah 19:1, a prophecy against Egypt. See the Lord rise on a swift cloud and, and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble. The idols tremble before him and the hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. You know, this phrase also, it, it means this judgment. And, and in Isaiah, he was talking about the Pharaoh saw the Lord coming on the clouds and when, when he unleashed his ten plagues. But of course, Pharaoh didn't literally see God coming on the clouds. Rather, this was a judgment metaphor, meaning that Pharaoh, what he had done, Pharaoh had witnessed God's wrath poured out like rain upon the land. That's what was happening. So when James wrote this letter, many Christians had been driven from their homes and and scattered across the the Middle East as a result of Jewish and and Roman persecution. They were being persecuted all over. And so Jesus prophesied that that God would eventually judge the Jews and the Romans for, for persecuting his people, that the high priest would see him coming on the clouds, heralding the destruction of the temple and the end of the Jewish age of sacrifice. Remember that? I think it was in A.D. 70, or the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. And that changed everything as far as the way they sacrificed, the way they did things. But, but those things hadn't happened just yet. So these Christians were still being persecuted, and, and they were waiting for God to come. They were waiting for God to come and waiting for God to rescue them. And so they looked forward to the coming of the Lord because that meant God was going to show up and he would make his presence known. While they were waiting, James says, be patient. While they were waiting, James says, be patient. I like what Chuck Swindle said. Chuck Swindle once one time said this. He says, Lord... Give me patience and I want it right now. I want it right now. How about you? How about you? Are you waiting for God to show up? Are you waiting for Him to come to your rescue or, or to take action in some area of your life? Are you waiting for that? Are you trying to be patient? Or maybe you're just waiting for Him to give some instruction or guidance. Is that what you're doing? Do you think James' advice would be the same here? Be patient. I think it would. I think he's telling us to be patient. Madeline Rockwell, she once wrote a story in Reader's Digest. Any of you guys ever read the Reader's Digest and read those stories? And Some of those stories are absolutely hilarious. Here's what she said. She said, my grandmother was a ball of fire while my grandfather was slow and deliberate. So now you see the two. I don't know how well that mixes. The ball of fire and slow and deliberate. One night, they were awakened by a commotion in the chicken house. Grandma sprang out of bed, ran to the chicken coop, and found the cause of the racket. It was a large black snake. Having nothing to kill it with, she clamped down on its head with her bare foot. How many of you would have done that? I don't see any hands. (laughs) There she stood until Grandpa arrived a good 15 minutes later. (laughs) He was fully dressed. He even had his pocket watch in place. Well, he said cheerfully to the enraged Grandma, if I had known that you had had him, I wouldn't have hurried so much. Uh, I think God is sometimes like this. We're always in such a hurry in our culture. We want overnight success, instant gratification. That's what we want. We want microwaves, not slow cookers, don't we? We want it fast. Patience is not one of our strong suits, and God rarely shows up as fast as we want him to. Rarely. He shows up on his own time when he's ready, but his time, I'm going to tell you something right now, his time is always the right time. And God is worth the waiting for. Amen? He is worth the waiting for. That's why James goes on to say this. Look at what James 5, 10, 10, and 11 says. It says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, that take the, the prophets who, who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, Job, Job did a, a lot of waiting and wandering. And when God finally showed up, Job discovered that that God really is worth waiting for. He is really worth waiting for. Look at what happened with Job in his life. You know, the Bible says in in, in Psalm chapter 37, verse 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all those. Self control. And you know what's interesting? Is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about agape love, what does it say? Where does. Patience start in that hole. Love is what? It's the first one. It's the first characteristic of love. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not proud or rude. That's what it says. Love is patient. And I can guarantee you that many of us at times are not patient with one another, are we? I, I will attest to that. Anyway, real, real faith is, helps us to do just that. It results in patience. The second way that real faith affects our lives is through prayer. Real faith results in real prayer. How many of you would consider yourself prayer warriors? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Have you ever heard this prayer before? Dear God, So far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. Amen. (laughs) How many of you have prayed that prayer before? (laughs) Absolutely. Here's what James says about prayer. He says in in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, this is what he says. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is there anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. The, the prayer of a righteous person is, is powerful and effective. Wow. You know, I, I think the, the absolute best measure of your faithfulness is your prayer life. James gives several circumstances in which to pray. First, he says to pray during hardships. That's what he tells us. When when life gets hard, get on your knees. You know, faith will help us to, to turn to God and to trust Him to carry us through those tough times. Then James says, pray when you're happy. He wants you to pray when you're happy as well. Pray during the hardships, pray when you're happy. And actually he says to sing praises. You know, that's what that's what a hymn is. It, it, isn't it not just a, a prayer set to music? That's what it is. You know, a, a prayer written with, with rhyme and rhythm. That's what it is. When, when you're happy, when life is good, we need to turn to God and we need to thank him and praise him. You know, and it, this isn't just a coincidence, because I didn't talk to these guys about the songs that they were doing this week. I think that Matt Redman captures this in this song that we sang this morning. Yeah, Matt he, he captures this, this concept of, of praying during hardships and, and happiness and beautiful beautifully in this song. And did you hear what Tina said? Did you hear what she said when we were singing? She said, now here comes the hard part, guys. She's right. Blessed be your name. When the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. In addition to praying through hardships and happiness, there's a third thing that James tells us to do, and that is to pray for healing. You know, several recent research efforts have clearly demonstrated a relationship between good health and spirituality. Good health and spirituality, especially prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. You know, today... 70 of our nation's 125 medical schools have begun offering courses on spirituality and health. People who pray regularly and are part of a local church tend to live longer and have better overall health. I don't know if that's true. I don't know how they came up with that statistic. But I do know this. When you combine prayer in a marriage where couples pray often together, The divorce rate is around 2 or 3% instead of like 50 or 60%. I like this prayer offered by this six year old boy. He said, Dear God, please take care of my, my daddy and my mommy and my sister and my brother and my doggy and me. Oh, and please take care of yourself too, God. If anything happens to you, we're all going to be in a mess down here. <laughs> and boy, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Remember, though, prayer isn't a magic formula to get things from God. That's not what prayer is all about, is it? It's not a magic formula. Rather, it's it's primarily about getting God himself. We get, we get the, the Lord of the universe, You know, just as the best part of a journey can be in the getting there, isn't it? The journey is getting there. The sweetest part of prayer is offering it to God. For Christians, prayer should be its own reward. Amen. And real faith results in a powerful and purposeful prayer life. And the last thing I want to share with you this morning as we close out the book of James, is this. The third way that real faith affects our lives is through perseverance. We have to be persevering. Finally, real faith results in perseverance. Do you remember in the very beginning of this letter, in James chapter 1, verse 3, remember what it says? Because you know that the testing of your faith Produces perseverance. James chapter 1, verse 3. And he ends with that very similar thought. Turn to James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, and this is what it says. It says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. And cover over a multitude of sin. Wow. These last two verses highlight a couple very important truths. The first one is this it is possible for a person to wander from faith or to even lose their faith altogether. Now, you're going to hear some other churches, some other people say, once saved, always saved. I don't believe that. I believe that we can walk away from our faith. You know, there's a story about a, a small boy who was riding on a school bus from he was coming home from, from church and he was from Sunday school, and, and he was so proud of this craft that he had made in Sunday school, which was a hand drawn picture with the caption that read this It said, Have faith in God. Then to his dismay, the construction paper slipped out of his hands and it ended up blowing out the bus window and the boy yelled stop the bus he cried i've lost my faith in god and i need to go back there and get it some would be better off if they were, if they were actually concerned about their faith Unfortunately, not all of us are. See, we have a tendency to wander off. Did you know that there are approximately 350 million people in America, give or take a few? And as many as 80% of them identify themselves as Christians. Yet only 20% actually attend church from week to week. Clearly, maybe most people who don't attend church did at one time. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But record numbers of church-going teenagers quit going to church as soon as they graduate from high school. That's a scary thought. Some of these folks either have a dead or dying faith. I don't know. You know, they're they maybe they're, they're spiritually lost. But you know what? That doesn't mean that, that they're not beyond the reach of God's love. It doesn't mean that they can't be saved. That they can't be brought back. As the second point that James, that that he's making here is that maybe it's our responsibility to reach out to these wandering Christians and to help bring them back, to help restore their faith, to help reunite them with Jesus. See, I believe that our mission should be one of restoration. I believe that we should be restoring people, not destroying them. That's what we should be about. But it's also as important to reach out to people who, who don't know Jesus and to share the good news of the gospel message with them. Absolutely. You know, uh, according to a couple studies... Lifeway research and, and the, the Barna research group. I've, I've quoted the Barna Research Group a couple times. It says eighty two percent of unchurched people say that they would be le- least at least somewhat likely to attend church if they were invited. twenty five percent say that, that they would be very likely to attend church if a friend would just take the time to and the effort to invite them to come. If you remember, we talked about this statistic back during the parable series. Remember that? We talked about this. Remember the question that I asked you? Do you remember the question that I asked you? The question is, how important are lost people to us? Think about that statistic. That's one in four of every unchurched friend that you have would likely come to church if you invited them to go with you. This would, and I'm going to tell you, this is the perfect opportunity, guys. This is the perfect opportunity for Cornerstone to to move beyond where we're at and to reach out to lost souls because it's not about the numbers coming to church. You know what it's about? I counted this morning. Look at this. There's 16 seats here. There's 14 seats here. Look at this right here. It's about seats where people can come at the foot of the cross and be able to hear the message of Jesus Christ. But see, the only way that that's going to happen it's not by Chet or Bob or Jerry getting out there and doing it. Just because we're the leaders of the church, it's about us as Christians because we all have a responsibility to reach out. So what I would like for you to do this week, I'm going to give you another challenge, is to fill one of these chairs up this week with someone that you're going to ask to come to church. You know what? They may not come, but that's not your problem. Your responsibility is just to ask. If we ask, maybe they will come. You heard that, if we build it, they will come. But they have to come because you've asked them. That's the only way that it's going to happen. You know, the the greatest day in history is going to be in another week. If you see, real faith is persistent. Real faith is perseverance during times of wandering, times of spiritual drought. Real faith hangs in there. You know, for some of these folks, all they need is someone to care about them spiritually. Maybe it's to bring them back to church or maybe it's to bring them back to Jesus. Maybe it's to help their faith start to flourish again. Our responsibility should not be to to destroy, but it should be to restore them, to help restore them, to bring them back to Christ. One simple question could make all the difference for time and eternity. Do you know what that question is? Do you know what that question is? One simple question could make the difference for time and eternity. And do you know what that question is? That question is this. Will you come to church with me next Sunday? How hard of a question is that? What this world needs, perhaps more than anything else, is real faith For real life in real time. This is the real time, guys, right now. And what it needs is it needs for your faith to be real so that it can speak life into other people. That's what we should be about. That's what I want to be about. Real faith. Prayerfully seeks God in every situation and circumstances, and real faith perseveres even in times of wandering. Even in times, you know, when, when your town, you know, it, it isn't that we all need great faith. It isn't, that's not it at all. It's not that we all need great faith. What we need is we need faith in a great God. That's what it's about. It's not about us. It's about him. Remember Sermon one of this? And I talked to you about that, that tight rope walker that was going across Niagara Falls. Remember that? Like the crowd at Niagara, we all stand at the edge of a great chasm. A vast gulf called sin has separated us from a holy and loving God. We certainly don't possess the balance. I know I don't. You don't want to see me in a pair of leotards going across that thing. You just don't want to see that. That's not something that you want to see. But we we don't possess the balance or the dexterity to cross that chasm on a tight rope. But Jesus does, and he's already done it for us. And he offers to carry each one of us across that that tightrope. The question is this. Do you believe that he can do it? And the second question is this. Do you have enough faith to get into that wheelbarrow? Do you have enough faith to get into that wheelbarrow? If you haven't done so yet, I want to encourage you to do that today. To put your faith in Jesus and then choose to live your faith every day patiently, prayerfully, persistently. Persevere. Climb into the wheelbarrow. And I guarantee you won't regret it. You know, if, if I can help you do that today, or if there is any other area of your life that, that you need help with or prayer for, please absolutely don't hesitate to come and talk to me or ask me. Or come this morning so we can pray for you. Those are the things that we're gonna that we're that we should be about. So this morning, as in every Lord's day, we offer this invitation to you to come. It's an invitation to to give your life over in the water games of baptism if that's what it is. It's it's to rededicate your life to the Lord if that's what if if that's what you need this morning. Or to place your membership here. Maybe you have been looking for a church. And you're just so frustrated because you know here at the end of the at the end of this month we're going to have a, a a congregational meeting to vote on things and and if you want those voting rights then come and place your membership with us. You don't have to, but you know it's it's membership has its privileges sometimes. <laughs> or maybe it's just to have prayer with you that you need to come this morning. I don't know what it is. If the Lord has laid anything upon your heart, I pray that you will come. But I want you to think about this. There's a lot of seats here this morning that are empty. That shouldn't be.